0: You're tuned in to the
1: NWSL Rewind,
0: presented by Modern Soccer
1: Coach. That's what you call USA Razzle Dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. Welcome to the NWSL Rewind, Match Day 2, coming into the second week of the NWSL. Uh you're here with me Clifton Bush and my illustrious co-host Sierra Taylor. Say hello Sierra.
0: Hello everybody.
1: So Sierra is debuting a brand new Twitter handle. Uh, so get in touch with us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Clifton underscore Bush. Uh, tweet me all of the negatives, positives, uh, any ideas on the game that you may have in uh, Sierra as well.
0: And I am at Sierra Taylor 11. Don't tweet me negatives on the positives.
1: <laughs> so the air will come for you if you uh, go <laughs> negative. So you can send those my way. Send them my way. Exactly. Uh, week two of the NWSL, and we're going into the international break. So a bit of a rest for everybody, which is probably pretty well needed. A few teams who need to get some players back healthy. Um, and so four games with Seattle on the bye this week. So no conversation about Seattle coming off of their – high of a win um but we will be discussing the other four matches uh and eight teams in the league we have a great interview lined up um i'll tell you about who's gonna be here in a little bit but great 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 interview coming up who's gonna be somebody's gonna tell us all about uh, players in the league coaching in the league uh this person is is a top top example of uh what the league can bring uh, moving forward. So we'll get to that uh, towards the end of our analysis. But first off, starting with Houston and Utah in a 0-0 draw. Um, Much of the same from week one, I think, from both teams there, Sierra.
0: Yeah, I felt like they both kind of brought the same thing to the table. Houston, I felt like they get a lot of numbers behind the ball, Um, and I think that That works well with them defensively, so they don't give up a lot of goals. Um, But I think that they need to bring a little bit more to the attack piece of it. Um, They've got some really dangerous pieces that I don't know if they're using yet. Um, You know, they have Michelle Prince. They've got a couple people up there that really can do some good damage, and I don't think they've shown it fully yet. Um, And then I felt like Utah brought kind of some of the same. They're a newer team, new club, so... They're kind of trying to get all those pieces together and i think they do a decent job of when they get the ball on the ground and swing it around it looks clean it looks good um and then that high press i think throws people off and they've done a decent job as a team pressing together it's not just individuals all over the ball
1: yeah i think uh for me, I mean, the 4-5-1 or however you want to slice it for Houston, uh very, very difficult to break down, obviously. And so we'll see kind of how the changes in personnel will will help them get out in the attack. But if they can keep taking single points off of people, um it, it's going to be interesting later on in the year. And it's on top of that, they're, eventually they're going to nick some goals. So, yeah. you know, if they – it might f- see them a little higher in the table, whether that's playoff ready or not. I mean, it was maybe a little bit, be interesting to hear what the Houston fans have to say about kind of these low block games, even yeah. at home. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of people play, you know, kind of so defensive, especially at home, in front All of your right. home fans. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Only a couple of changes for Utah. Mayor Montez for O'Hara. Um, Katie Stengel getting the startup top. So, I mean, you know, it was much, like you said, much of the same. So, I mean, zero, zero, fair, not a whole lot to break down. The press obviously didn't move people well enough from Houston, but we saw that yeah. with Chicago, I'd say, as well. It's just yeah. very difficult to move them out of shape. Absolutely. So, North Carolina sky blue, uh, much more. I, I guess from a football perspective, a much more exciting affair. I think anytime you're putting uh, North Carolina up there, Crystal Dunn, Lynn Williams, yeah, yeah. Dabena, uh, Sabroni, <laughs> Inkle, <laughs> should yeah. have just named the entire starting yeah. 11 and the subs. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting, exciting game. And I was particularly partial to this match as well. Um, I, I think one thing that we're going to try to, do at least this go around is, is just kind of pick out a moment here. So if you're listening, uh, if you find the game, uh, and as always, you can find the games either on Lifetime or on Go90, um, depending on which one it was originally aired at, and you can always go back and take a look at the game. But this is a particular moment in the 74th minute uh, when Groom wins the ball. Uh, and it to me, the tactical implications here were I think you see Shea Groom is starting to actually work really well with Carly Lloyd. And yep. Shay was able to win a ball. And just like you would in, you know, NCAA, March Madness, like right now, is like, how quickly can you get the ball to your point guard? And she got it to Carly Lloyd, and off they went. And obviously, you know, we're not resulting in a goal, but a very good chance at the end of this, where I think you see even. Groom who started it in her own half is standing at the edge of the box, getting high up the field. And so, I mean, that movement, the interchange between Lloyd and Groom, finding Leon for an opportunity, those things are you know are, are really gonna shape up. This is our first look at New Jersey. So I think yeah. uh that was for me a pretty standout match for going up against a stalwart team for your first go-around.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I mean, I think New Jersey looked organized as a team and especially in the defensive end. I think you're going against a powerhouse, I would say probably top three in the conference, right? You know, in the whole entire league. And I think that they brought it to the table. They were defensively organized and that's their first game. Like, good luck. Hey, you're going to play these powerhouse team. And see how it goes. And they really were organized. They looked good. They looked clean. They didn't finish and they didn't pick up the yeah. win. But I don't think that I don't think that determines where they're gonna finish or anything like that. I think it's a good result for them and I think it's a good game for them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're looking at Freeman was getting involved in that play in the 74th minute as well. And so when you're getting your left back into positions to support, yeah. I think that says positive things moving forward. Now, I mean, they did. They concede the goal, um, and I think <laughs> North Carolina is going. Their transition to attack is just at Bastard. another level. You're they not only have enough players in defensive setup to take care of something like Carly Lloyd, but Carly Lloyd has to go up against Crystal Dunn one v one, loses the ball in the middle of the park and there's just not enough for New Jersey. They've got five players above the ball. Carly's trying right. to recover. You've got four your entire back line trying to face their own goal and run back through. Um and,
0: well, and Hinkle's fast, so she yeah, just took yeah, it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Right. So and that's I mean a little tiny win from Don, little tiny touch into Hinkle mm-hmm. and it's forward pass, forward movement. Hinkle drove mm-hmm. into the space and it forces everybody to just be on their heels, and it it looked as though Dahl Kemper just, or excuse me, uh, thought just couldn't quite get herself turned around to yep. get into a, a close enough covering position as uh, yeah. McDonald broke free, and you know yeah. now you're one v one against what I think is the third leading goal scorer ever in the yep. uh, NWSL. So you're that's always. 95% of the time, that's that's going to be a money situation. Exactly. So I think that offensive transition for North Carolina, teams are going to have to figure out how to keep more numbers behind or attack with defending in mind.
0: Exactly. And in that
1: particular setup, there just wasn't enough in the pocket in order to stop any type of counterattack.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd be interesting to see them match up later in the season because I think – first game for them for New Jersey. And now all of a sudden they may get a little taste of it and they're like, okay, wait a minute, let's see how this goes the next round.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, I mean, when you're using Lloyd as you should, you know, to kind of be your pivot and your engine, Mm -hmm. uh, she's also probably the one who's the closest to giving you that stopping power in the middle, middle of the park as well. So they're going to have to kind of figure out whether or not they can, get the line higher, the back line higher to kind of close that gap when they're attacking or, uh, you know, kind of make adjustments somewhere. But I'm sure uh, Coach Reedy is going to be all over uh, the improvements here moving to the next match.
0: Right, for sure. I agree. Oh, and I think that uh, it'll be interesting for – so let's go to um, Portland, Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's head out that way. So – uh, obviously, a crazy game, 3 2. Um, and, you know, for me, finally, when I was watching that game, I know, right? Finally crazy. I mean, every game. Multiple
1: goal. Like, <laughs> you know, every game's been 1 0,
0: 1 1. Yeah. 0 0.
1: As a coach, I'm all for, like, hey, let's have the tactical conversation and the tactical battle. But as a fan of the league, you're like, please start scoring some goals. Oh, but Yeah, yeah and
0: this one was so, so ping-pong like back and forth too. I mean you have, you know, Haran scores nine minutes in and then they come in and they score 31 minutes in and, you know, Chicago scores. Then it goes back and, you know, and Sinclair scores and then, you know, and then second half comes. So they're up 2-1 and then all of a sudden they score again and now they're up 3-1 and you think, oh, Chicago's out of it. And then they score another one, and it's 3-2, and now they're in the game. But I think, for me, that game, I felt like Portland did, in that game, just outplay Chicago. I think that they they had a nice rhythm to them. Um, Attack-wise, they've got Horan, they've got Sinclair. Sinclair was fantastic, as always. Um, And I think the game-changing point for me was when Sinclair, I think when they had the PK, you know, handball in the box, and now... You know, two one. Everybody says it most dangerous lead to have because they score one. It's two two, and now they've got some momentum. And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you score another goal. And so I think that they score that they get that PK. Sinclair puts it away, no problem. And now it's three one. And even if they do score, which they did, and it kind of put everybody like, oh wait, we gotta we gotta make sure we're sorted out here. But I think it stretched the game a little bit for them. And I think Portland is organized enough. Where they could kind of hold the fort now, but I do think for me that was a game changer. I mean, it was a clear handball. Um, there was no, you know, we've had some we've had some up in the air yeah. handballs lately.
1: No uh, Becky Sauerbrunn <laughs> situation here, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: No, none of those. And I think it was a clear handball. It was a good finish by Sinclair. Um, and I think for me that was the seal of the deal game changer right there because when it was two one, I think it was Portland was down, out playing, but I think that there was still that hope of. I mean, Chicago did it last week, you yeah, know, yeah. to come back and, and tie a game. And so now it's 3-1. It's a little bit more out of reach, if you will, um, but not impossible, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a close I think to come back against a team like Portland twice is going to be yep. uh, like the mentality that it would take to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Alyssa Mott's with two goals, I mean, who would have? I mean, I don't know that. And good uh, goals. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, positive number of goals now. Like, that's, you know, she played 11 in her 2013 year with Chicago. You know, this would be a good start for her to definitely get going and solidify a spot as players start to come back because she's going to have to contend, obviously, with Sam Kerr and, you know, the various attacking players that are coming back to Chicago. You know, I think that that's – it still was – I think it still took a bit of time to get, they were down, and so the sense yes. of urgency yes. to play better came. Yes. Um, and I think it took a little bit for them to get in behind this this three five two for Coach Parsons. Even though Coach Parsons wasn't on the sideline uh, this particular match, but this three five two, you know, really trying to get in behind Person Klingenberg. Um, yeah fast enough before the recovery happens i think is is key and yeah it took a little bit for that to happen
0: yeah well i think you know my thing with chicago is i think they need to continue pushing forward because i think the most positive thing i took out of it was even though i felt like portland outplayed them in that game i think chicago has this just desire to stay in games like, they just don't give up. And any team that's going to play them, and especially when they get Sam Kerr back, like, any team that plays them is going to have to fear that the game is never over. And I think that's something that you, you know, at the end of the year, you'd rather have that than something else. Because that team's going to battle every single game they come to.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, it's a amazing mentality. And it's not just Sam Kerr. I mean, you've got Yuki coming as well. so I mean, Exactly. So like, there's a there's a bit of disguise and a bit of
0: uh, exactly you know,
1: just really really top level technical ability coming. So I think yeah. uh, it'll help to maybe unlock some of these patterns that we've. That clearly they're trying to execute, right? See the patterns that they're they're trying to build. Uh, I mean Gordon and uh, Camo. If you put together Gordon Camo and Nair. They had over two, almost two hundred and thirty passes between them, or touches between them. Yep. The rest of the team is at like four hundred. So, yeah. I, I mean, clearly this is a a build through the thirds, phase one to phase three. You know, can they find Colaprico? Can they find Green in the you know in a top spot? With yep. their back to goal work off of that, exactly. You know, switch the point. It's a high touch count, but I think it's. Can you get to the point where now maybe that urgency? Can you figure out how to do it with urgency?
0: And so, I think so too. I think that'll be their that'll be the key to their game. I think if they can add that urgency into it, they're going to be a different team.
1: The hard uh, hard game to to rate. I think Chicago Portland yeah. is. I mean, uh, individual kind of things that happened. I think on Chicago's end. There's yep. the old adage: if you have a uh, two track stars, one has bad form and one has good form, but they both get there at the same time. Who do you pick? You know, yeah. you, you maybe pick the one has bad form because once you teach them, then now they're, they're faster. faster. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think uh, right now Chicago's probably the, the one that has more potential than really a lot of the Absolutely. teams that we're seeing is just it's going to take a few tweaks and all of a sudden I think you're going to find that they're way out ahead of of exactly. some of the other teams that we're talking about.
0: I totally agree.
1: Last match, Orlando and Washington. Uh, before we get into that, uh, like I said, we have a amazing guest. Uh, we'll be joined later in this podcast, so stay tuned after the uh, Orlando-Washington analysis for uh, former Boston Breakers head coach Matt Beard is going to be joining us. I had a great conversation with him. Uh, He was uh, wonderful, one, to just come on the show, but two, to share kind of his coaching experiences, his thoughts on how to build a staff, his thoughts on uh, some of the young players coming up. As most of you may know, uh, Coach Beard spent a lot of time building a young draft-based team, so he knows who's who when it comes to all the young up-and-coming talent in this country, so... Uh, stay tuned for that interview with Coach Matt Beard. Uh, but back to a bit of analysis here Sierra, Orlando, Washington, no Marta, no Morgan, mm-hmm. no win. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that seemed to be kind of the, the storyline a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think with Orlando, I think not having, you know, I think they did well without Alex Morgan last week. Um, I think that. Have it, Not having Marta hurt them because I think technically and um, she's just amazing on the ball, off the ball, everything. I mean, she is a fantastic player. Um, and I think that does hurt them a little bit because I think they were missing that in the center of the field. Um, but I think for me, I was really impressed with Washington Spirit. I felt like they really broke out. Um, I think, you know, I was a little bit hard on them last week because I think that they, you know, they are a young team. Um, And they're trying to find that chemistry, that rhythm. And I I didn't really feel it last week. And I think this week you saw it. I felt like they had a different team, a different rhythm. You know, uh, Mal obviously scored, Hatch scored. um, And I think that they, I mean, they scored late in the game, but I felt like they were playing really well. I mean, they were playing really, really well. Um, They were switching the ball well. And I think when they do that, they really expose teams. So, as soon as they start to hit that game up and they can find Mal out wide or anything like that, I mean, they can expose teams and open them up. And Mal doesn't necessarily have to score because that run that she's opened has now created an opening for someone else to come in and score, like Hatch.
1: <laughs> Which she will do. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Her rookie of the year and time at BYU will tell you that. Uh...
0: Exactly.
1: If you don't pay attention to her for half a second, she will make you pay. Um, Exactly. Yeah, this this was a a picture of what a young team really could get out and do. I mean, I felt like Rebecca Quinn was probably, you know, before she exited the game, was a massive, massive catalyst for what was happening. Absolutely. Um, And obviously Andy Sullivan was the engine of what was going on. Um, Yep. I imagine. So, I mean, you know, those are the, the kind of normal suspects. But for me, the one difference, and I think they talked about this maybe a little bit in the broadcast, was the ability for Pew to actually move Orlando's defensive unit.
0: Exactly. By
1: checking off the back line. Yep. Her ability to actually come back and try to find the ball is yep. a lot of what got them going. Instead of just a static nature. And so I think now you let Ashley, ha- Ashley Hatch have a little bit more space, a mm-hmm. little bit more time. Um, yep. You know, Andy Sullivan obviously can pick a pass from wherever. Yeah. It, you know, and that also gives a bit of interchange for Taylor Smith as well, uh, who yeah. is always going to be dangerous. So I think when you're looking at the offensive organization, uh, very important late for Pew to find a game quote unquote and I thought yep. she she did a very very good job of of you know one of the latter moments she checked back you know into her defensive half towards the sideline yep. and you can just see players going right by her you right. know Washington Spirit players getting out in front of her so you you know that now that there's room if she can get on the ball uh, that that you can actually play forward with your one of your attacking stars
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think she's just not one-dimensional. I think a lot of people, you know, when when she plays, I think a lot of people think, okay, just play her behind. She's fast. And I think a lot of times it takes away from that aspect of her game where if she checks to a ball, she's opening up who knows what from the backside and, oh, by the way, she's good on the ball. (laughs) She happens to be kind of fast with it, and I almost think she's faster with the ball than she is without the ball. And so I think, but I think that creates some dynamic movement and you could tell they kind of started piecing. I think having Quinn there really pieced some, you know, missing puzzle pieces together um, and they were able to kind of connect and find that rhythm. But I think if they switch the point of attack, they are going to open up gaps on teams that even if they have solid defenses, they're going to have a hard time keeping up with that team because they are just young and they're, they're ambitious and they want to go forward. Um, But I think with, you know, with Orlando for me, I felt like Hill was phenomenal, even though they didn't score. I think Hill is just, you know, if they get, when they get, you know, Martha's there, Morgan's there. I mean, Hill, I just think she came in and you were like, okay, wait a minute. And I think even one of them, she was trying to cross it, but it almost.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Went in.
0: But I think, you know, but she just is dynamic as she wants to score. She wants to go forward. She's looking for the gaps. And I think she stepped up when they were missing a Martha and they were missing the Morgan. And I think that's, that's a positive on Orlando's part is to see, okay, you know, how can we go from there? And I think defensively for Orlando, I think the struggle was, I don't think they were defensively unorganized, to be honest. I think that they got pulled apart a couple of times, but for the most part, I thought they were put together. I think they had two poor clearances, and Spirit capitalized on them because the one clearance I think that they had, I think it knocked off of somebody's foot, and, it, and basically they transitioned quickly we're and here. they were in. And then the second one, Mal crossed it. It was a poor clearance across the middle of the box, and they capitalized. So I think Orlando can't look at this game and go, you know, oh geez, we that's not a good result, whatever. I think they. They had some good things. They were missing a couple key pieces. Um, but I don't think defensively by any means that they were atrocious, if that makes any sense.
1: No, I mean, Orlando probably with Pickett and Krieger, I mean, if you just start to go through kind of the outside backs in the rest of the league, I mean, you're playing against Spirit with Tedesco and Smith, um, mm-hmm. you know, Midge Purse and Klingenberg, very attacking players. Yeah. Um You know, obviously Hinkle, um, Hinkle and Matthias attacking players, you know, Gibson, Freeman was getting into the attack even for New Jersey. Like you were, you're talking about players that are, and obviously O'Hara, I don't want to leave, leave O'Hara for (laughs) sure, Um, attacking fullbacks (laughs) and Orlando doesn't necessarily have that. So how are you going to pin Opposition fullbacks in and right. keep them from getting into attacking right. positions, numbers up positions in the flanks, um, allowing then someone like Pew or Hatch or Sullivan to play and kind of have spaces in, in front of right. center backs. And so it, that's going to be one one maybe kind of tactical challenge over the year is if especially if you're playing without Marta and Morgan, it's. You don't have the ability just to unilaterally keep the ball exactly time. And so, how are you going to kind of keep players like Smith and Didasco from getting into overload positions further up the field? Um, Right. And there's just so many attacking fullbacks in the league. Uh, You can just go down the list. And so, I think that's going to be one thing that they're going to have to look to, to not necessarily improve on, but you know, certainly keep in mind tactically as they consider their system of play and it evolves over the course of the year. I wouldn't imagine coach Samani is uh freaking out too much. I I don't. <laughs> he seems like a pretty relaxed coach. One of the most relaxed, Yeah, <laughs> seems like one of the most relaxed coaches I've ever seen on a touchline. So, and you know, that's a I just so I would imagine he's he's in full teach mode at this point he and his Absolutely. staff doing what they can to, you know, improve the system of play. As opposed to, you know, maybe whether that's freaking out for the, kind of the results over the first two matches. But this is probably a very experienced team versus a really young team. And in this yeah. particular instance, the youth won out. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, those are even the, I mean, even a bench. I mean, you know, Loman, Tiffany Weimer, like you have players, yeah. Eubanks, like you have players that can come off the bench here for Washington and. Yeah. And make a significant difference and so at the end of the day depth may have won out just slightly more um, yeah. on the day but you know absolutely congratulations to washington for for that for playing that way for, for 90 minutes absolutely
0: yeah well i think and i think the message with all these games currently is you need to play 90 minutes or add the additional time to it. Because I mean, a lot of you look at all these scores and stats, I mean, you got Washington 80th minute, 88th minute. I mean, you've got other games, 90 plus two minutes extra time. And that's what people are scoring. So I think, you know, the big thing and especially, I mean, it's hard because it's, you know, you're two games in. So it's hard to evaluate everything and be like, Oh, I need my team to be perfect. You want them to be perfect towards the end of the year. So right now i think keeping everybody's you know everyone tuned in for 90 minutes or 90 plus those whatever extra time minutes are is gonna be something that people are gonna have to start talking about because so many goals are coming from 80 minutes on
1: <laughs> yeah and i think one of the things not to spoil too much here but one of the things uh, coach beard talks about is uh, it would be the addressing the fitness, um, yep. you know, the the ability, the preseason. So now you're talking about league organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much time do teams have to become 90 minutes fit for these early matches? Right. Um, and like you're saying, you don't necessarily want to be full flying uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, then you don't have anything in the tank if you, you know, make the playoffs. But it yep. certainly late goals consistently over the first month is probably a pretty good indicator that some people are some teams that are fully fit and ready and some teams just aren't aren't there yet. And that might be a situation where, you know, what is preseason taking a look at preseasons for the league as a whole. Um, right it's just it's just a very difficult question to ask, I think, as you growing league with nine teams and you know, hopefully more in the future. But it's many, uh, many questions. I mean, we're in week two, and already we're addressing kind of all of these, uh, you know, tactical questions. It'll be interesting to look back. Uh, we haven't even made it to the midterm break here, yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh, of, I know, right?
1: So, no, I mean, it's it's starting to flesh it out pretty well as to who's, who's playing good soccer.
0: Yeah.
1: And who maybe just needs a, a few tweaks. So, Absolutely. Um, any final thoughts from you?
0: No, I'm excited for the next, the next selection of games. I think it gets better and better. and I'm impressed with, I think the league just gets better and better as we go. So I think that's a positive. I think it's a positive for women's soccer. Um, I think it looks good, which is usually a complaint for people is like, Oh, well, it looks okay. And I think it looks competitive. It looks um, crisp, clean. You've got some creative players, fast players, physical players, and, so I think it's fun. So it's fun, something to look forward to weekly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's maybe that's something we'll hit on here in a couple of weeks. This the uh, it seems like this year more than previous years, w- much more of a physical situation. Yeah. Like people are getting into some tackles, that you yeah. You might raise an eyebrow or two. So
0: nah, that's all good stuff. <laughs> 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 Coming from a former center back, that's the best. Yeah,
1: yeah. a pack twelve center back here is <laughs> surprise at a Pac-12 center back wouldn't mind uh, a few crunching tackles. So, um, yeah, we will we will leave you with that. Stay tuned for Coach Matt Beard coming up right after this. And welcome again to the interview portion of the NWSL Rewind. Today, we have a very, very special guest, uh, former head coach of the Boston Breakers. Matt Beard is joining us this week. Uh, Matt Beard obviously has a long, long list uh, of accomplishments inside of the women's professional game, and we are so, so pleased that he's with us here today uh, with his time at the uh, before Boston spending time at Chelsea. Uh, getting to the FA Cup final there, moving on to Liverpool, two league titles there, two managers of the year. So we are very, very pleased to have Matt Beard with us. Coach Beard, we appreciate you having us on. How are we doing?
2: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: No, no problem. We appreciate you for sure. I think uh, the with your time in Boston, we're very, very eager to kind of just hear, have you been keeping up with the league? You've been able to kind of see uh, matches this year, from, from England and uh, see how the league is progressing in year six?
2: Yeah, I've tried to um, uh, see as much as I can with, with obviously the time difference. Um, you know, I watched most of the opening um, games over the course of that weekend. Um, so from, from that perspective, it was, it was good to see everyone start. Um, you know, it was uh, I think a lot of teams have got a lot of injuries and obviously players away at the start of the year. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I don't think you can read too much into sort of maybe the first month of the season, you know, because of that. Um and especially the players playing in Australia, they've had no no real uh off downtime as as, as we would call it. So, you know, I, I think as this season goes, you'll probably see more injuries because of that as well. But um it's been an interesting start for sure. Um obviously it's been a lot of draws and real tight games which you know, as this league gets older and stronger, it's it's, it's going to be like that because the teams, each team gets stronger and, um, obviously the way that it works in, in, in America, you know, the, the, the bottom teams get the opportunity to strengthen through the draft and stuff like that. So yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating season.
1: Yeah, obviously that's the, the injuries and kind of missing players is, has seemed to be the very, very early narrative, um, from everybody going forward right now uh, i mean your thoughts on the kind of quality of play for the players that are still here right now or, or is it does it seem to you to be a little bit improved or or uh, about the same as what you were used to for what you know those non-national team players that that kind of take over at this time of the year it's,
2: it's, um. I think each team's got a lot stronger, especially because of what happened with, with us at Boston. You know, you you had, you know, I had two years of a lot of young players. We put a lot of work into that, that have had a good education sort of soccer-wise, um, which obviously has strengthened every other team because there were some good players on our roster that, that yeah. obviously got picked up. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you've had some top names leave the league, you know, especially at Portland. You know, it's going to be difficult for Mark to replace Nadim, and um, especially Omri as well, and Ali Long. So I think looking at their roster, they're they're, they're probably weaker than what they've ever been um, during my time in America. Um, I, I I just feel now, you know, something that I was uh, uh, wanted to try and change in my time there was a longer preseason.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. because these, these coaches
2: just haven't worked with any of their players. they probably had their players together for one week. And, you know, the way the international programme is, you know, the start of that week is more rest and recovery for them to to get good training in at the back end of the week. And, you know, you'll probably see, you know, a lot of disjointed soccer over the first probably month, and especially with the Asia Cup happening. You've got a lot of players missing in the league as well, which doesn't help. Um, so I was surprised that they started so early. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, I, f- I feel um quality of football will get better every year, no, no matter what goes on. So your players are going to come and go. Um, obviously, being back in England now, seeing the salaries that players are getting here and what they're getting in Europe, it wouldn't surprise me if you see more Americans come over here as well. So it's, it's going to be... Um, it's, as I said before, it's going to be a fascinating year this year, um, especially if the rosters are strong. Um, you know, my, my, my tip this year is Seattle Rain. I feel they've got a great coach in Vlatko and I feel they've got probably on paper the strongest squad of players, you know, to cover because there are going to be injuries because of the way the league is, the intensity, the travel, People teams will pick injuries up and, and again, coming back to some of the pictures that the players play on that. That's why we you know, those teams will have injuries.
1: Yeah. So as, as a coach, how do you, I mean, you talked about a longer preseason, how else did you prepare for the grind of these matches? So tight schedule, tons of players coming and going, a lack of continuity. How, How did you go about preparing week to week in order to try to be successful,
2: yeah. Generally, as a coach, you get a lot of your your foundations out in preseason. Um In America, you can't do that because you never have the players. I mean, knowing the pro- the pre season start date, the Canadians and, and the Americans were away for the first week. You know, none the mm-hmm. the other international players would have been in for the first week and then join up with their national teams. But obviously the US national team, the Canadian national team took their players earlier. So, and then obviously take on to consideration, the Australian players were still playing in their league. Um, So you wouldn't have had, well, they wouldn't have had the players for the first three weeks. So a lot of the foundation work that you would normally do comes out in that pre-season. So you generally find yourself playing catch up as the season goes, but generally how we work throughout the week, we, we always had if we played we'd have our debrief video session and obviously we'd look at the statistics as well which were specific to to us we would then do video opposition early on in the week on who we're playing um, it's something that i feel is really important to start the week because you work on things in trainers and play or oh sorry you work on things in training as the week goes and players can start to see the pictures of what you've shown them what you've spoken about tactically so when you when when you're training you know, they'll, they'll see they'll, they'll see them pictures. And, you know, we, I used to like to try and do an 11 v 11 as much as I could, especially f- from a shape perspective, and also to, to try and get the pictures of what the opposition team do as well. And if you're asking someone to do something and they haven't seen it, it's difficult for them to carry it out, you know, as you would want them to. And if they've seen it, it gives them a bit of a better idea. So your preparation can be a lot stronger. Um, and then we would always do like a... A match day strategy and a match day sort of presentation with regards to set plays and obviously we work on them bits in training as well so we, we, we try to cover all bases because players learn in different ways you have visual learners you have players that will learn on the training pitch and some players need both um to, to for, for the penny to drop for what you're asking them to do once they cross that white right line so a lot of detail goes into into the preparation into the training sessions and you know, you, you try to give the players as much information as you can to, to, to go out on that pitch and um, give them the best opportunity of winning the game because the NWSL um, is probably the most competitive league in the world, by the way, of results, um, the nature of the games. Um, and and as I say, from, from our perspective, we, we want to try and make sure that the players have... have the best opportunity to go and win that game.
1: And just following up on that, I mean, that's the amount of detail that it takes to kind of put the players in that position. Uh, Talk a little bit about kind of your thoughts on how to put together backroom staff. It seems like that would require a pretty constant communication with your with your staff and that then that cascading communication down to players, whether that's mm-hmm. meetings or video analysis uh, sessions or whatever that might be. Um, but organizationally, how did you feel the structure of staffing played a role in you know in, in any success that you guys had?
2: Yeah, um, I, I feel um, in, in England, um, my background team uh, especially at Liverpool, we had, a, we had a great backroom team and, and uh, you know, that was a big part of us winning the league title, you know, back to back. That's the biggest, in my opinion, in, in, in the NWSL. Um, the facilities obviously need to be better and that's obviously getting better as, as these bigger clubs come in. Um, but the, the staffing structures, you know, that's the biggest weakness in, in the NWSL and in probably American soccer, in my opinion. You need a good assistant. You need a good goalkeeper coach. You know, you need a video analyst. You need a sports scientist. Um, and you need interns on top of that to support them because the amount of work that goes into running a team isn't just turn up and train and that's it. There's a lot of detail that goes into it. And when I walked into the job in Boston, you know, all I had was part-time staff. I was working 14, 16-hour days at a time. And it's just its too much. You can't do that in such a... Uh, busy schedule and the way that it, it worked. I mean, we had the back end of the season, I think it was something like six games in something like 15, 18 days. It was ridiculous. Oh, wow. And, and for me, that's the most important thing. If you have the right backroom team, you can delegate more. You you, you, you can, um, obviously, your messages get passed across and, and, and it makes everyone's life a lot easier, especially from a player perspective, because one thing... I found in America is that a lot of players didn't feel they could come and have an open relationship with head coaches. It was like, and that surprised me. In England, I was a big, big believer in communication, giving the players their opportunity to talk about the game plan or come and talk to me about whatever they want. And that's the way that I've always worked. And um and that's surely but surely that happened over my time in, in Boston. You know, the club listened and we brought a sports scientists in, and the next year we brought Pro. Out, pull out from Newcastle United and, you know, we had a really good structure in place. It's just unfortunate for us that, you know, we was two years into a four-year project and I feel we was in a really good place going into this year, but it wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. And, um, you know, and and I hope, you know, the teams like Utah coming in and obviously Portland with Mark, you know, they've, they've got the right support staff in and around them. You know i'm sure they would want more support staff to make it stronger and better and more professional and um and i think as time goes and as the league becomes stronger that will obviously that will happen um but it is a weakness in in the league at the moment
1: and so what in part of what we do here at this particular show is trying to kind of help bridge the gap for maybe there's a coach out there um, that's listening. Uh, what do you look for? Like, what, do, what are the traits that those coaches that are going to join your backroom staff really need to have? Like, what are the priorities that you're, you're trying to get out of those uh, coaches?
2: For me, uh, the personality is probably the biggest thing, and that's not just with coaches, that's with players, because um, generally you would know the player, you would know the coach. Um, you know, it's, it's about getting to know them as a person and what makes them tick. For, for me, the background team, as I say, they're, they're more important than the players sometimes. Um, so, as an example, with Paul, Paul, um, you know, he had a, a great background in in youth football in in England. worked at Newcastle United in their academy for for over a decade, um, and I felt here the education of the players at a younger age isn't the best in America. Um, and I felt Paul's background from from the academy stuff, from functions and phases, would have been a big help for me, and especially when we invested a lot of young rookies in 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 the draft last year. Um, but also, his his personality was was excellent. You know, he's he's always got a smile on his face. The players can approach him if they didn't feel they could approach me. So it was, it was we we had a sort of a good. He was a good bridge for me for players to go and talk to. And I feel as a head coach, you need you need to have. Um, a good number two that, that the players can go and talk to, and a number two that you can trust that he would then relay that information, uh, obviously back to you. Um, the other thing for me, what I'm looking for with 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 my assistant is, um, obviously, to be able to be trusted to go and do put sessions on, and you know. But the other thing is to challenge me, because as a head coach, if you're not getting anyone challenging you, then um, you know, it, it makes your job a lot more difficult. You know, there's many a times where you know I can quite open and honestly say that we, we had not disagreements, but he, discussions on team selection and performances and stuff like that. So it was interesting. It was it was a good working relationship that we had. And I had the same at Liverpool with Scott and I had Aidan boxer with me at Chelsea, all good coaches within their own right, but they all brought a different strength to, 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 to my backroom team. And the other thing as well is you need to make sure that whoever you're appointing you know, isn't similar to you and does the same things because you, you need them to do different things for you that you might not be strong at, as an example. And, you know, as a coach, I'm always learning. I want to make sure that I'm also learning from them. Um, the same with the goalkeeper coach. You've got to make sure that, you know, your goalkeepers are improving day in, day out. They're not making the same, same mistakes in games and, and, and stuff like that, that they're being rectified and, you know, their their whole game sort of, sort of improves. But... um it's so like anything for me, I'm, I'm, as I said before, I'm a big communicator and making sure that everyone knows and everyone uh, feels valued within the team and everyone's input is is, is massive for me. And, you know, a, a, as a head coach, you need to make sure that you're listening to your staff because nine times out of ten, they're getting more information than what you are. You know, being down there day in, day out with the players and they might open up to... To, to them rather than to you especially in America I found that anyway and it's important that you listen to their input you value their input you you delegate you give them responsibility um you know and, and they have a plan in place for them to improve not only as a coach or a sports scientist or as a medical person but they improve uh, as people as well and, and that's something that's really really important to me that that you know you give them responsibilities whether it's managing interns and you're developing their leadership skills and stuff like that. But, you know, the biggest thing I will always say is you need them people with you. You can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. And to make sure that that you, you that you listen, you have an open mind and they may say things that you don't like, but again, it's, 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 it's a team effort. It's not an individual effort. And that comes from the coaching staff right the way down to the players.
1: No, it's an amazing, uh, you know, thing to think about is the, the coaching development, even at the professional level, is every day is kind of an environment to just get better. Um, and we had Craig Harrington on the podcast last week, and he spoke much about the same kind of thing as is the coaching development, even in you know the highest levels of of the game. You you seem to be a development oriented sort of coach. I mean, obviously, coaching in the pros, you're. Looking for the results, but mm-hmm. you've you've drafted young players. You've gotten you've your time here was spent a lot with young players to kind of bring them to fruition over the course of a few years. Uh, yeah. I think that gives you a pretty good look at maybe who who are some players that we should be looking at that you know you think are going to be the bright players maybe they're doing stuff now maybe it's something that you see that's coming later on down the road but talk to us about players that you that you see in the league that are going to be very successful
2: yes yeah, um there's, there's some really good young talented players that have come through I, I I feel specifically talking about some of the players that I were at Boston I feel Megan oyster um you know last year we, we put a lot of work in with the information and, and understanding the tactical side of the game so I'm really intrigued to see how she does this year under Vlatko as well, because he, he's very similar. You know, his teams are always organised. They're always disciplined. Um, so I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how she she, she kicks on this year. Um, another girl that I, that I rate highly is Kristen Westfeld, who again at, at Seattle. I hope she gets game time because, you know, last year, first year she really struggled in the Pro League. Um she went away, worked at her game, worked on the mental aspect of it, and she come back and was a different person, a different player last year. And, you know, just as she was starting, unfortunately got a, a nerve injury in her foot and ruled her out for the rest of the season. But um forward players-wise, I, ex- I was excited by uh, McCaskill. We watched a lot of her. Um, obviously, we drafted her at... Uh, number two in the draft. Yeah. I feel she's going to, as long as she plays in her natural position, you know, I, I feel she can have a very successful year because she's got some very talented attacking players around her. Carly Lloyd, Becky, Adriana Leon, who who was outstanding for me last year. So, I think she's one one to watch out for. But, I feel the one player um, that will have a good year and will break into the national team will be Abby Smith. Uh, okay. Last year, was about her getting her confidence back, playing really her first full season as a professional. And she'd done that, sort of managing the injury that she got the year before. Um, and I feel now that she's got that year under her belt, she's had an off-season of, of strengthening you know, that knee. I really feel that she'll kick on this year and uh, um, you know, I think she'll probably be the number one goalkeeper in the league and hopefully she can break her way into due plans because Abby's got everything shot stopping uh a distribution excellent I mean there was there was there was a game last year we was playing uh Washington Spirit it was I think it was 2-2 in the last minute and Tori Huster's hit this strike and Abby had no right to save it I mean I was standing right in line with it and I said to my assistant that's in and she's just got a touch to it and tipped over the bar it's probably one of the best saves I've ever seen in women's football It it was it was unbelievable um, so, yeah, I mean, they're the ones that I feel. I mean, you know, I feel Danny um, uh, Colaprico at, at Chicago should. I understand why she's not being looked at in the national team. I feel she's an immense talent. Um, but I guess from her perspective, she she needs to be settled in one position. And I feel, obviously, in Rory's diamond, she's when there's players in, she'll do a job for them, you know, um, whether it's at the point in the 10 or whether it's right or left or sometimes you know my first year she was in the six a lot so um so yeah i mean they're the the ones sort of at the top of my top of my list i mean i do like janine becky be interesting to see how she Mm -hmm. does this year in a different environment um you know watching her at international level you know she's someone that we was looking at at boston just because she scores a lot of goals at international level and that's not easy to do um but she struggled at houston for whatever reason so i'm really intrigued to see how she does this year in a different environment. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing our progress this year.
1: Now, coach, I think, uh, we'll have to have you back on a, on another show here in a few weeks and just to uh, keep picking your brain. I think, uh, you have a lot that you've talked about on whether that's, uh, some of the little jewels that you've dropped about, maybe American player development or, uh, uh, some of these young players that may or may not be breaking into the international pictures. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have to kind of maybe pick your brain again. If, uh, if, if we can pigeon you into that. Um, so appreciate you spending some time with us today. Yeah, no problem. We, uh, good luck to you. Hopefully, hopefully, like I said, we'll have, have you on soon. All right. Okay, thank you. All right. No, Thanks master. coach. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.